Hi, everyone. Welcome to This Much I Know, the Seedcamp podcast with me, your host, Carlos Espinal, bringing you the inside story from founders, investors, and leading tech voices. Tune in to hear from the people who built businesses and products, scaled globally, failed fantastically, and learned massively. Welcome, everyone. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the future of startup funding and why it might not be something for VCs. And as part of uh, the, the talk today, I have two great friends that are joining us. Um, one is Asher, who is one of the co-founders of Uncapped, one of our recent investments. Another is a longtime friend, Ross Shaw from TLA, Tech London Advocates. And we're going to be hearing about them and what they've done uh, to date from them. So let's just kick off with you, Russ. Tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, Tech London Advocates, and then maybe uh, how you guys met, uh, or maybe Asher, you want to take that story as well. Go ahead, Russ. Oh, thanks. And thanks for having me. So uh, I'm the founder of Tech London Advocates and Global Tech Advocates. And these are communities of tech leaders all coming together as volunteers to, to do two things. One, to promote their local ecosystem, the startups, the scale-ups, the investors, the founders, uh, and, and, to, and to work and support them. And two, to deal with the issues and challenges that we face in these ecosystems. Um, TLA was launched actually in this building seven years ago. Uh, I remember that. Back in April 2013. Yes, you were here for that. Uh, so we, And we've grown from well, zero to nearly 9,000 in the community um, across London, the UK, and in 50 countries around the world. So we're very much coming together to support what's going on. Everybody in the community is a volunteer, and I do all of this pro bono as my, my give back to tech. Tech has been very good to me. Um, my background early part of the, my career was in financial services. I then worked in telecoms and technology at places like O2, Telefonica. I ran a later stage startup that got acquired back in 2005. And then where we met was at Skype. That was my last kind of corporate gig before I did this. Excellent. Yeah, sure. So I did my first startup um, in 2003, which was a marketplace business called Make It Matter. Um, so it was a marketplace for social projects. Uh, you know, so for example, you had a school in your community that had been graffitied. You'd be able to go on Make It Matter, post it, and then say, I was going to donate, you know, 50 hours of my time to like paint a mural. Someone else would donate, you know, 100 pounds, and then the project would get funded. Um, and so, you know, I was trying to raise 100K for this first, uh, first startup, and I probably had 100 meetings and 100 no's. And finally, I met an angel, uh, who was a philanthropist, so he probably had a bit of pity on me. And was able to, to get the money to do that first company. And, you know, he was incredible. Helped us, you know, secure partnerships um, with huge organizations like L'Oreal, who is our partner in creativity. And for every dollar raised, they would match it. Uh, and then I went kind of to the other end of the spectrum at Skype, um, which is, you know, as Russ mentioned, where we met. And Skype was going to the market for an IPO. And I remember getting uh, a call late one Friday from our CEO who asked me to put together a few extra slides and it was for a key investor in the IPO. So I reluctantly put together some slides and little did I know that those slides were actually for Bill Gates. So fast forward, you know, we abandoned the IPO and Microsoft acquired Skype in May 2011 for eight and a half billion. And then I guess in my most recent startup, I kind of experienced every different aspect of fundraising. So I had angels, I had strategic investors, um, a great VC fund. We had the fourth largest crowdfunding campaign um, until Monzo kind of took away that title and blew away the record. Um, we even explored debt. But I think ultimately the tool I really needed was missing. And that's what we've set up to build with our new company, Uncapped. Excellent. Well, maybe that's a good segue to talk a little bit about the problems, the structural problems that 
uh, startups have, particularly in Europe, in in expanding. So I don't want to limit it just to money. Mm -hmm. I know that Rusty spent a lot of time evangelizing some of the other challenges have, and I know that you put together some great reports around that. So maybe you can just walk us through mm -hmm. some of the some of the top variables that are considered as part of what uh, new policies are being generated as well as new initiatives that are coming out to address those fundamental problems of which one of them is fundraising. Yeah, I think, I mean, if you look at the fundraising side, um, you know, and actually part of the reason, you know, after I left Skype, one of the things I did f straight away was, was to become an angel investor. And I look at, you know, policies like uh, EIS, the uh, Enterprise Investment Scheme that was launched by the government that encouraged me and other angels to, to, to get behind investing in, a, in our tech and startup ecosystem. So, you know, I think favorable government policies are, are a very important part of that. But I think more broadly, and, and kind of goes back to part of the reason why I set up Tech London Advocates, and now we've got these groups all around the world, is, um, was really to try and give a voice to the, to the founder and the entrepreneur and make people aware of what's going on, the great businesses that are being created, businesses, you know, like Escher's, Escher's running, so that people know and understand who they are, what they're about, what they're trying to achieve, so that, you know, if they've got money, they've got these incentives to invest, how do you bring these two components together, I think is a really important part of this. I mean, you know, Fast forward now to where we are today, you know, it's gone well beyond the angels, strong venture capital firms, strong private equity firms. The amount of overseas investment into the UK has been phenomenal. I guess something in 2019, over 10 billion pounds invested into, into UK tech, which is really quite positive. But still at a grassroots level, at, at, at that ground level, there's loads of people out there hungry to get investment. And then how do you match them with investors where there's good alignment? I think is a key part of how we make this work and how we make this work more efficiently. Yeah. And before we go too far down into a little bit of how Uncapped solves that mm -hmm. problem, I want to continue exploring some of the other research you've done at TLA regarding what other needs there are in our mm -hmm. ecosystem. I know that funding and bridging that funding and bringing it together is part of it, but I know that other other issues that have surfaced, I know yes. uh, one that's come up recently is what's going to happen with immigration post-Brexit, yes. but maybe just uh, top top five things that, that – okay that are being addressed by startups today uh, to you saying, hey, man, like this is uh, this we need help with this. Yes. I mean, the overwhelming issue at the moment is talent. Um, to your point around immigration, we have a, a vibrant uh, Tech London Advocates immigration group. We meet with this independent committee called the Migration Advisory Committee. As we prepare to leave the European Union, we need fit for purpose visa and immigration policies. Um, and there's various tiers within that policy. The tier one level is the exceptional talent. Uh, visa, which is, you know, certainly if Asher were coming in from overseas, he would qualify for an exceptional talent or global talent visa. There's also the next level below that, which is the tier two visa, um, you know, which is the CTO, the software developer, the product manager. And our issue at the moment is the government has said that they will take the cap off that. A cap was put on by Theresa May when she was Home Secretary many years ago. Only 21,000 of those allowed each year. And we've said, lift the cap now. We know we're leaving the European Union. Let's send a message to the world that we're open for business and we're open for great talent from overseas. That coupled with a whole issue around diversity and the lack of diversity in our sector. And the irony for me is we're in this wonderful global city in London with the most diverse population in the world. How do we bring more women, more blacks, more minority ethnics, more people from the LGBTQ community, people with disability into the tech sector. So to me, we have to address that equation 
you know, very, very rapidly. Loads of great jobs being created in the capital. We've got over 570,000 digital and tech jobs, but we've got about 48,000 tech vacancies on top of that. So great growth, but how do we fill them and how do we fill them with diverse talent is really key. Um, beyond that, beyond the fundraising, you know, the other thing that we've been talking about a lot is how do we make London a 5G, you know, ultra fast city in terms of our, our, our broadband speeds and London is a challenge because we're actually not one city, we're 33 boroughs. Each borough has its own policies, its own infrastructure, its own way leave issues on how you deploy that infrastructure and hardware to make that happen. So for me, it's talent, it's funding, it's infrastructure. Those are kind of the three big issues on the list that we're trying to address. Actually, that's, that's very helpful. And actually, clearly some of them go back to money. At the end of the day, hiring talent takes money. And... Maybe one thing that we can do, uh, talk about before we st go straight into the, the sources of funding for startups is the sourcing of funding for the funders, the VCs. Mm. Um, how much of the agenda is how to unlock static pools of capital in the UK? Uh, how much is that something that, that you guys are trying to, to do? Uh, of course, money flows downstream. So sure. being able to unlock money at the very, very top means that some of these problems can get resolved, uh, in different ways, creative ways. It's critical. And, um, you know, again, as we're coming out of the European uh, Union, the EIF, the European Investment Funds, for all intents and purposes, stopped uh, funding VCs and other funds here in the UK a couple of years ago. And the flip side of that, and I think we need to get an update from our government, but our previous chancellor introduced the patient capital review. And as part of that review, um, has asked the British Business Bank to get involved and has worked to make the rules and regulations around how pension funds can invest in patient capital uh, more liberal, if you will. So that unlocks, I think the number he used was something like nine billion pounds of funds that are sitting in pension funds and other organizations that could go into the types of funds that we need. So I think at the government level, at the treasury level, there's a good understanding that as we go through this transition coming out of the European Union, that we need to access those bigger pools of funds. The institutional investor is a key part of this equation to make sure that the VCs and the private equity funds get the funding that they need to enable organizations like the one that Asher's leading to, to get access to that capital. It's a big part of this equation. We'll see in the next two, three years how effectively that's working, but I am at least assured from the various conversations I've had that people are very aware of this and they're working on it. Excellent. Well, I mean, that, that sets the a really good backdrop to talk about what Uncapped is trying to do. And I know you briefly mentioned what you guys do already earlier, but maybe within the context of the the ever-changing landscape for financing and and those gaps that, that uh, Russ identified – where does Uncapped come in? Describe the, the ideal context in which Uncapped really showcases its value. Well, we talked a lot about you know, VC and the funding for VCs in the current market, um, but also there's more to the equation in terms of how startups are funded today. So, you know, the challenge that most startups have when they're starting out or kind of growing their business is, well, do they, you know, sell shares in their company and give away ownership or do they take on debt capital? And, you know, debt capital probably in the UK ecosystem isn't really discussed as much. Uh, and it's sort of uh, an, an institution that's really available probably for bigger businesses or bigger, bigger startups. And it's kind of exploring, hey, what are the other options that are available and out there? 
with Uncap, we're actually trying to provide something that is in between, you know, VC or debt and kind of has the benefits of both. So, you know, we're Europe's first revenue-based finance provider. We believe that founders shouldn't have to give away ownership of their company to fund growth. And so that's why we provide equity and interest-free investments from 10K up to a million. We charge a flat 6% fee on the capital that we advance, and we get paid back via revenue share. So there's no pitching, there's no business plans, there's no meeting up for coffees, uh, which means that founders can just get back to growing their business. Um, so for example, you know, if we lend you 100K to spend on marketing, we take back a fixed portion of your daily revenue, which might be 5 or 10%, until we got 106K back in total. So we don't take any equity, there's no personal guarantees, there's no warrants or hidden fees, you're just paying that 6% flat fee. And, you know, critically, because these repayments are tied to your revenue, if the business slows down, the founder isn't cut out. The repayments also slow down. And so we believe it's like the most affordable, flexible type of financing available to growth companies. Great. Thanks for that, Asher. By the way, guys, I should have disclosed this at the very beginning. Of course, we're investors, very proud and happy investors in Uncapped. And as I mentioned already, good friends with Russ. But the the reason why I say that is because as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, wow, you know, this is clearly thinking from the point of view of a founder and building a product for a founder by a founder. And yet you mentioned earlier, there's other forms of debt that's already been in the market for years. And maybe those that are listening aren't as familiar with, with some of those products, maybe to, to provide a contrast, do you want to walk us through what a typical venture debt deal looks like and who it was available for? Yeah. So venture debt rounds, you know, typically go alongside a venture capital round. Often there's a cap which might mean that there is like a one-to-one -one ratio of how much capital is deployed. Um, they'll provide an interest fee, uh, but also critically they have warrants included. And so when founders are thinking about those deals, they really need to you know, understand the full cost of that capital. And you know, in, in our case, to provide a contrast to that, it's trying to say, actually, let's say you're not ready for taking on a long-term venture debt deal, which typically would be like three years. In our case, you know, it's a capital that might have a shorter payback period. Um, but what is nice about it is that you can pay it back <laughs> compared to equity. You know, once you give away equity, it's gone forever. And so, you know, it's exploring this other idea of maybe there's new models available for founders that they hadn't considered before. And do, do you have to have it be tied to a uh, equity financing the way venture debt usually requires it to be tied to a lead investor's term sheet? Absolutely not. So a lot of the founders that we work with are actually like bootstrap companies who, you know, for example, haven't wanted to take outside investment. They've wanted to retain control. They've wanted to grow profitably. But equally, we can work with like VC backed companies who just want a more affordable source of capital. They might be in a place where they've taken VC money, scaled the business, are having generating positive unit economics. And now realize rather than being further diluted or being diluted again and again, let's actually say go out and get capital where it's at a more affordable rate based on actually their real performance now. Mm. And so, you know, we can work in combination with the VC. So, for example, someone might say, hey, I was planning to do a one million round, but actually I know that I'm going to spend 40 percent of that capital on Facebook and Instagram ads and things that are fundamentally repeatable forms of uh, forms of use what they can instead do is work with us and say i'm going to raise you know 600 from a vc but i'll raise another 400k from uncapped and you know grow in a way that where they actually retain much more of their business hmm. no, that's very helpful and 
Of course, I'm biased when I say that, but at the same time, I also know some of the challenges some of our companies have had, and that has made it very difficult um, for companies that aren't at the stage where a venture debt provider cares, and, and the problem that they suffer from is what you mentioned earlier, Asher, which is you end up having to raise more equity and not have another option. Now, when it, when it comes to alternative options, um, I think one of the things that, Russ, you, you mentioned earlier on is obviously there's, there's a amount of capital that's coming into the market locally and abroad. And the timing um, has meant that there's ever increasing amounts of capital available at cheaper and cheaper um, dilution points for founders. And there is that balance between uh, compromising, let's say your cash flow versus just getting more equity. How, where do you think the evolution of, of where we are at the moment is? Is it, is, are we going to continue seeing capital getting cheaper? Are we going to see more VCs packaging something like uncapped as part of their term sheet to, to maybe just an evolution question of what trends you're seeing in terms of capital coming in and, and how creative that is leveraging things like uncapped? Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, and just listening to Asher here speak uh, about uncapped, uh, it took me back. I was the CEO of a later stage startup. I wasn't the founder but I came in as the CEO three years after the business was started and I did a series D round working with venture capital firms and the amount of time and effort and focus I had to put on that versus running the day-to-day aspect of the business. And I'm sitting here listening to Asher thinking, wow, I wish something like Uncapped would have been available then because it gives the founders more choice. It sounds like it can really simplify how you look at your financing mechanisms as you grow your business. You know, so to me, this is a terrific solution. So coming, coming to your point, coming to your question, having more options in the market for me is, is a good thing because it's demonstrating the maturity of what's going on in our ecosystem. I think for founders out there who are really passionate about building and creating businesses for the longer term, if you can make it much more straightforward for them, if you can think about easy ways in which they can gain access to capital, whether it's on the debt side or the equity side, I think will be greatly welcomed by the market. And as more money comes in, yes, I do think capital is going to be cheaper, at least in the near term. But I think more and more founders, more and more entrepreneurs are going to look at ways in which it's easier for them to do this. Um, again, when I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs and they're kind of getting to this point, you know, obviously venture funding is important. It's an important part of the mix, but you really need to know who you're dealing with, you need a very good advisor to help you understand the terms that you're, you're signing up for, you know, and I was running this business, you know, I didn't fully appreciate that there was something called liquidity preferences. So Mm -hmm. when the company was sold, we had to get above a certain hurdle before any of the original founders or employees got paid out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's that degree of complexity and looking at the numbers that we had to spend a lot of time thinking about which just made the whole process of how do you run this business and make it a successful business harder because you don't have the bandwidth to do that. Whereas mm-hmm. what Asher's talking about here, and I think what, what the ecosystem is looking for are different solutions, but straightforward, more simplified solutions to make that capital raise journey more accessible and, and frankly, easier. Okay, excellent. Well, on the subject of ease, there's a lot of companies out there that probably don't qualify for uncapped and the the nature of your customer uh based upon the way that you take money back um implies that they have to be having some form of revenues and yet some companies especially some of the companies that the government is trying to promote more of like uh in in 
in some of the research centers across the UK are are more towards like deep tech or some of those areas where the, maybe uncapped isn't isn't the right fit, but maybe there are. So maybe this is a good opportunity to talk a little bit about who your ideal customer is, Asha, and, and who is not an ideal customer. Sure. So uncapped is great for you if you've generated sales for at least nine months. Uh, you're doing at least 25k of monthly revenue. You have positive unit economics. So that's definitely, uh, you know, still a, a smaller portion of that full ecosystem of businesses that are out there. Um, but also it represents a really wide variety of companies. Um, so you know, we work with companies in e-commerce and SaaS, direct to consumer, gaming, app development. Um, we've also seen it work for, you know, companies I mentioned that were like bootstrapped, but also VC backed. So, you know, we've had, you know, our first customer was a fashion brand, Lestrange, um, where they're a great business looking to grow, but they just don't want to take on any, take on any venture capital. Or we, you know, had backed a VC backed business, um, called Marshmallow. Uh, they're a fintech that provides car insurance for immigrants and expats. And they were just looking for a more affordable source of capital versus VC. Hmm. At the same time, like we know that, you know, the VC market with, you know, 35 billion, I think last year was invested by VCs across Europe. But there are lots of businesses that don't fit that model. You know, whether it's, you know, founders who aren't looking to, you know, become a unicorn. Um, there might be a great business doing incredible things, but maybe they're not going to grow 10x. They still deserve to get capital. They could also be just a founder who's overlooked by traditional sources. You know, they might be from a minority background, or they might be someone who's not looking to sell in the next near term. And so those, you know, great businesses that are really important to our economy, they're really important to, you know, that overall vision for what London, I think, wants to become of an entrepreneurial, fast growing place to be, but they're not necessarily getting that same access. Mm. And it's really a question, I think, about distribution. So, you know, capital, as you mentioned, is increasing. So there's, you know, more capital coming over from North America. You know, there were rumors about his Sequoia going to launch here and all of that. And, you know, people get excited about that. And, and I get excited too, because I think that means that for founders across the spectrum means that there's more opportunities, more people who are eager to give out capital. Mm-hmm. And that creates good opportunities for all. But I think it's just also the recognition that even with that, there is a pool of businesses that are kind of getting left behind. Hmm. And, you know, the sector hasn't necessarily been as creative with coming up with solutions for those types of businesses. And that's what we're trying to do. So people might be asking themselves, especially if they saw your recent TechCrunch announcement, why you guys uh, raise money from VCs uh, instead of the more sort of unorthodox format. Uh, maybe you want to comment on, you know, that, that recent raise and, and why that was appropriate for you guys. Yeah. So we raised capital from some incredible VCs, uh, including Seed Camp, but also White Star and GFC. And yeah, it might seem counterintuitive that we're raising capital, but it's actually quite strategic. You know, we're raising capital to build this new asset class. And, you know, equity is just one part of an entrepreneur's toolkit. Um, but, I guess what our business believes is that it's the wrong tool if you're actually building and trying to fund repeatable parts of your business. You know, for example, digital ad spend. So we really encourage, you know, the companies that we work with to spend equity on things where they're taking technical risk. You know, for example, if you are, you know, trying to build a rocket to get to Mars, if you're trying to cure a disease, if you're trying to, you know, build something with artificial intelligence that is a fundamental true risk. That's what, you know, exactly equity is designed to fund. But if you were funding Facebook 
and Instagram ads where you're going to put a pound in and you know that you're going to get three pounds out. It's really silly to use equity, which is the most expensive form of capital. You know, the effective APR on a growing business is 100% APR. So to think of using that in every part of your business is really silly. Hmm. And so in our case, yes, we're taking a technical risk. We're building something that no one's done in Europe. And therefore, it makes sense to take VC money to fuel it. Hmm. And just maybe just to wrap up that point, the there are other people that are trying to do this as well. Maybe you can just comment on on the evolution of this. I mean, the, the, the world of giving money to other people is probably the third oldest business in the world's, world's history. But, but at this time right now, with as much richness in data that is available about companies, who else is doing something like this? And, and why are you guys really standing out above the crowd? So we're the first business of this kind to launch in Europe. But there are, you know, other businesses who are in revenue-based finance who are, you know, coming across from the U.S. and have really, you know, built incredible businesses actually at getting to scale and showing that alternative models can really work. And so for us, you know, we're excited to see more people in that space and, you know, showing that actually we're onto something. I think, you know, how we differentiate ourselves first is that, you know, we from day one have been an international business. And so if you think about the challenges, you know, even you know, when Russ and I were at Skype, the challenges of building a global business is something, you know, we experienced firsthand and understood that actually every market has key differences. And so we come with that insight, you know, from day one and to build a business that I think will really reflect the needs of, you know, local Europeans. Also, we've thought about data, you know, and I think in a different way. You know, coming from Europe, we really recognize the importance of data protection, thinking about things like GDPR and what does that mean? And, you know, the way our business works is, you know, we are able to make these rapid decisions about funding because we connect to all the data sources of a company. We look at your, you know, Facebook account. We look at your Google account. We look at your bank account and get that information in a few minutes to be able to make a decision. But that also means that you have to trust us, you know, and believe that we're going to treat that data in an appropriate way. And I think being a European business, that's front and center for us. And then the final bit I think is in building this business, we've done everything really to be founders first. You know, I've built this product actually for my friends. I want to be incredibly proud when, you know, they use this product. And actually some of our first customers have been friends. And so knowing that they take that product and are able to sign up to our terms, fully understand what they're getting into. There's nothing behind the scenes. There's nothing hidden here. And making sure that that continues to be the case is, you know, part of our DNA. Mm. And I think that's going to continue to differentiate us from anyone else who, you know, might come into the market in the future. Yeah. And it, it's, I mean, it's great to hear that, that level of, um, connection that you have with the customer, Asher. Um, and, and trying to effectively provide a new source of capital for, for startups that VCs have left a, a big hole in. But VC itself is evolving. I mean, I think that there's a lot of new funds that have popped up in the last few years. Uh, I know, Russ, you've seen some of our old friends come and go and some new ones come in. And where is, where is VC fit into all of this? Is, is VC, I know we talked about it as an equity only play, but why can't VCs do this as part of a product? I mean, there's tons of VCs that are coming out right now with platforms and with all additional value added services. At what point does a VC start having its own loan book as part of the product suite that it has i i think what you're seeing and what you're describing is that you know the vc 
industry has been under immense pressure over the past several years because personally, I think the model is broken. Um, the returns are not there. Um, you've got new platforms like Uncapped coming out. You have big organizations like the SoftBank Vision Fund coming in that are just upending everything. So I think those VCs that look at this and look at alternative ways to fund to get ahead of the curve is where this needs to be. Um, you know, I should describe that he does have venture capital investors in his business. I think that's a great thing. And I think that's to be applauded because they're probably looking at this business and model and saying, what can we learn as a VC and take away from this to evolve our current model, which is not working the way it needs to be? And actually, you know, I think what we're doing is partnering with VCs. And you know, half the deals that actually we do are sourced from other VCs who recognize actually it's a really good thing for their founders to have another source of capital. For them, it's, you know, a source of capital that is non-dilutive, is non-recourse and can actually, you know, add extra fuel to the jet that they want to build. Um, but I think why VCs aren't directly getting into what we're doing, at least not yet, is, you know, they're structured for long-term investments. And, you know, maybe they could restructure when they raise their new funds. But it's also about, you know, how we built our teams. You know, half of our team are in engineering and data science. And we've built the infrastructure to be able to analyze these businesses at scale. And that's just something that VCs, I guess, aren't really designed. Can we talk about that a little bit more, Asher, the the how you built it? Because I think if somebody's being cynical and listening to this, they might be thinking, aren't we just building the next – loan crisis of the future with, with backing businesses that are just at this sort of early high risk stage. What, what insights do you need to really make these decisions to sort of prevent that level of, of anxiety that could be this, 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 you know, explosion later down the road? So, you know, we've kind of flipped the traditional model of investment at this stage on its head. You know, normally a VC is very much about pattern recognition, right? What school did you go to? Um, who have you been introduced by? Um, do I like your product? Uh, in our case, actually, those are none of the things that matter to us. You might be building, uh, you know, a product where actually we aren't concerned if there's a big market for that or whether we think that's a great idea. What we're looking is actually your historical performance. How is that business actually done? Do you have a market? Are you selling it? Are you generating a profit? And so it comes a little bit more down to like the fundamentals that are there and actually what is the, the basis for a great business, removing a lot of kind of the unconscious bias that might otherwise make these decisions a bit more haphazard. Um, the difference that I think with VCs have as well is for them, you know, one in 10 bets needs to be a winner. Um, they can get that one winner, which then makes up for the lo- otherwise losses on their portfolio. In our case, actually, you know, 99% of our investments need to be a success. And so that means the diligence and the insight that we need to actually make sure we are making good decisions on where we put our capital is totally different. And like, that's the technology that we've built to put behind it. Yes, you're giving me, you're giving me anxiety about my career choice, man. I want to join you guys. Um, maybe to, to wrap things up, uh, because I really enjoyed hearing how, how you guys are thinking about this. Uh, maybe we can, uh, maybe we can shed some light as to the future of the UK in light of this evolution of not only fund, fundraising and, and fund structures. What do you think still needs to change? Um, if you could change the UK ecosystem in any one way, what would it be? Well, there's there's probably a number of things, but but for me, um, a key role here, as we're talking about finance and fundraising, is the psyche of the um, 
tech investor here in the UK. And it is starting to change, you know, focusing more on top line growth, a bit less on profitability, getting that balance right. But the, the investor club here is still a club. Um, and I think to Asher's point, you know, there's been a bit of who you know, who you feel comfortable with. You know, that's why female-led businesses struggle to raise the funding. You know, this is still a white men's club. And what I love about Uncapped as a, as a, as a, as a tool, as a vehicle for fundraising is for me, it, it starts to democratize, democratize investment much more. So, you know, whatever your background is, as long as you can prove that, you know, you've got a good business here, you've got some track record that this model can then say, yep, this is a great business. Let's get behind it. Let's fund it. Whether you're, you know, white, black, man, woman, whatever your identity is, that is really powerful. And I think for me, that is the next wave of unlocking the UK potential here. We've demonstrated that this is becoming a tech nation. You know, we're not the US, we're not China, but boy, we are becoming a vibrant source of digital and technology startups and scale-ups. The funding side of this is critical. It cannot be kind of a room of men making these decisions on people who they know. Let's open it up much more and use vehicles like this and organizations like Uncapped to help make better decisions and bring a diverse group of founders and entrepreneurs into the UK ecosystem. I would totally agree. I think there's an incredibly huge amount of untapped entrepreneurship talent and potential that hasn't really ever had the, had the ability or even to, you know, dream about building a business because they wouldn't have had access to that capital. And so if we can, you know, change that story, I think we'll actually be able to solve a lot more of the UK's biggest challenges. You know, I've always fundamentally believed that, you know, entrepreneurship is, you know, what's going to happen to change our biggest problems. And so by getting more capital to those people with those ideas, that's the way forward. Mm. Finally, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs starting out? One of the lessons that I certainly have learned over the course of you know, raising capital from different sources um, is just to be really aware, I think, of how much of your business you're actually giving away. Once you, once you give away that equity, you can't get it back. And we know with like current stats that founders will typically end up owning less than 15% of their business. And that stat isn't going to change unless founders actually become much more aware of how these rounds work. Certainly for me, when I was raising capital, uh, it was actually all about, hey, we're going to raise a seed, and we're going to do a series A, then we're going to do a series B, and it's going to be bigger and bigger. And that was the feeling of actually being, you know, a rock star entrepreneur. And what I think founders actually need to start celebrating is, hey, getting your thousandth customer, making a profit. Um, actually building a business that's with purpose and making a difference. And the more we tell those stories, it may not be what TechCrunch necessarily wants to write about, but if we can get more of those stories out there, I think then more entrepreneurs will probably be more aware about what is the opportunity for them and see things a little bit differently. I mean, if I could add on to that, and I think that point is really well made, is um, build a diverse team, build a diverse board, um, because in those early stages, getting your business model right, getting your MVP right is, is critical and having diverse views, having people who can look at this and kick the tires and say, well, what about this? Or have you thought about that? If, if everybody's from the same background and experience, 
in all likelihood, you're going to miss something. And we know from all of the evidence that's out there that diverse businesses build better products and services and are more profitable. Um, and, and you have to start that when you're just starting out, when you're one, two, three people have that mentality in mind because, you know, you know, companies like Uncapped will emerge from that because they have really good diverse leaders around them in the business and advising the business um, and supporting them financially. That to me is, is, is priority one. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us guys. Thank you. Great Thank to be you. here. Thank you. Until next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and leave us a read with your thoughts on our show.